family-owned shop in Loganville, Sosby's Garage, for all your automotive repair needs. We service all makes and models, Ford and domestic. We repair engines, alternators, brakes, alignments, AC systems, and more, using certified technicians with over 90 years of combined experience. We also offer same-day service for some repairs. Sosby's Garage, 200 Bay Creek Road in Loganville. Dependable, honest, and fair. Look us up on Google or Facebook. We'll take good care of you. Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett studio inside the Sonesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. It's time for Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. We are the cornerstone of security in the Southeast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. I'm your host, Rick Strawn, the president of Paradigm Security Services. We're excited to be with you today on Business Radio X. We're broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, located in the beautiful Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel in Duluth, Georgia. In addition to Paradigm Security, this show is also brought to you by Soulsby's Garage, as you just heard, and also every other week between my shows, the Mana Scholarship Fund. Check out Dr. Jeannie Burnett. On every show, we feature businesses and organizations in the Atlanta area, especially those that serve Gwinnett County, as well as the people. While all businesses and have security concerns, not all are about physical security, and we'll touch on that and other related aspects of security through the course of our shows. You know, today we have a lot of things going on. Uh, elections are coming up. Uh, there's just a, a lot of things going on in our county here in Gwinnett and really around the state. And one of the things that we try to do as we move through this, this season is to have some of the people that want to have your vote, want to go on uh, through the politics thing and get in there and, and work for you. And we like to kind of give you an idea of what some of those issues are, where they stand, and, and how that goes. So with that in mind, I want to welcome uh, Brian Gatewood to the show today. Brian, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. And, and just real quick, uh, everybody does it. It's Byron. Did I, did, what you did I said say? Brian. Everyone, oh, I'm sorry. Everyone, I'm looking at it. My mom does it. It's okay. Yeah, I'm looking <laughs> at it and seeing seeing Byron and said Brian. It's Byron Gatewood. Yes, my apologies. And I know that. It was a screw up on my part. Uh, he's running for the 6th District Congressional uh, seat here in Georgia. And, you know, that is a pretty good size area mm -hmm. on the 6th District, and especially with the redos of the mm -hmm. districts. Um, I like to always start out with, you know, just in a kind of a nutshell synopsis, uh, who is Brian, Byron Gatewood? I almost did it again. You almost did it again. Yeah, no, it's, it's very common. Everybody does it. Don't sweat it, please. Uh, I am, uh, a guy from a little town who worked hard, uh, and got somewhere, you know, I, I, to introduce myself probably best, I have to go back 20 years, uh, to a moment where. You know that that I think changed a lot of lives forever. September eleventh, two thousand one. You know we all know where we were that day. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a turning point in our nation's history. But for me as an individual, it was really that you know that crystallizing moment where I became an adult. You know I was I was kind of still a kid right up to that point, and then something happened that changed the course of my life. And, uh, and I, you know, I took that, that anger and that rage, 
that I felt after seeing us attacked. And I enlisted in the, the National Guard at the time because I was still in college uh, and you know wasn't ready, I thought, to be a, a full-time soldier. Little did I know that I was about to be a full-time soldier. It has a way of surprising you with the, yeah. with the Guard, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. It does, especially after you know they mobilized the whole Guard for, for a, you know, a national campaign like that to go, to go beat the Taliban. But, uh, but that, was, that was really where I grew up, was in Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was lucky enough to come home. A lot of guys and girls didn't get the in opportunity to come back and uh, came back, you know, got back into school, commissioned onto active duty. And then uh, my wife and I, you know, spent several years on active duty, building a family, one duty station at a time, going, you know, from Virginia to Arizona to Kansas and all around the U.S., ultimately spent about four years in Germany, uh, where I did a, a lot of good work in the intelligence field in Eastern Europe and Israel. We'll talk probably some about that uh, in the course of our conversation. Um, and then I you know, got out of the act, active service, uh, went and got my MBA at Cornell, and, and have gone into business for myself. You know, I, I live in East Cobb, where we're raising a family. I've got uh, four kids. We just added number four uh, via adoption. And uh, I'm a, a biblical conservative raising a family along those lines. Um, that's how I feel my policy should be crafted, you know, as a member of Congress, those are the, the politicians I tend to vote for and support generally is people I feel that, that live up to a certain moral code. And, uh, that's how I run my business. How I run my family. That's who I am. Well, you know, it requires a lot. And you mentioned part about being a small business owner mm -hmm. and in today's atmosphere, uh, I can tell you as a small business owner myself, you know, getting people to work, getting people once they get to work to work, uh, just getting them to come in and and come to our, through our academy that we have and actually go out mm -hmm. and get in patrol and do the job. It's a challenge and it's something that just does not, uh, it doesn't get, it's not getting a lot better. In fact, mm -hmm. I'm not sure it's getting any better. It may have proved, I may I can tell you after the next two, three weeks, because it looks like there may be a little bit of movement in it. Yeah. But, you know, that's something that you're going to have to work with to deal with when you get in the position, if you're, if you're lucky enough to be elected, mm -hmm. that's going to have to be dealt with. Kind of how do you look at that particular facet of trying to get people back to work, which is important to Georgia? It's, it's, it's a hugely important to Georgia. It's important to Georgians. You know, uh, and it, one of the jobs that I have right now is uh, is I, I, I help run and I work with a, a nonprofit that creates jobs for adults in the autism spectrum. Awesome. And uh, we partner. It's really cool, actually. It's I'm really proud of it. I've got uh, a grandson that's autistic. And, and autism at this point touches every family. You know, Absolutely. everybody has a cousin or an uncle or a nephew or something that that, it, you know, we've all been touched by autism. And uh and so what we do is we partner with corporate clients and we do data work. You know, this is a population of people um, who frequently kind of the, the stereotype diagnosis is that affinity for repetitive task, attention to detail, that, you know, that comfortable comfort level with technology. And that makes them good candidates for data work, data Absolutely. management and things like that. So what we do is partner with corporate clients and we do data management work that would otherwise get farmed out overseas. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've created this environment where folks who are generally overlooked in the labor market, 
you know, this is a population that's vastly underemployed, vastly unemployed, despite having some marketable skills. Vastly underrated. And yeah, very much so, yes, sir. And, and we've created an environment where they can thrive, where they can grow professionally, develop the soft skills, develop the hard skills, and get good work done, rewarding work and quality of life improvement. But for a couple of years now, you know, we've had an incentive structure that has sent this population and everyone else at home and paid people to stay mm -hmm. home or scared people into staying home. And, and this is in, I mean, this is policy making and fear mongering that's in direct conflict with human flourishing. Absolutely. You know, not just for this population, maybe especially for this population, but it's good for everyone to be out. Everyone to you be need working. that social interaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, we're, we're creatures who were designed to go out and do good work. You know, the, it, whether it's a universal basic income argument or whatever it is, like, this is not good policy. Like, we need to go create and, and do things for ourselves. Well, we've got to have that, like I say, that personal interaction, mm -hmm. especially important for kids growing up mm -hmm. to learn how to interact, how to interface with kids their own age, mm -hmm. with older and younger kids. And I know from it being uh, associated with someone that has the autism, and he's on the high le high intellect level of mm -hmm. autistic. You know, he has his issues. He's working to control them and all sure. that learning. It's come with maturity, but it's something that they deal with every day. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have that interaction, they don't learn how to deal with mm -hmm. it. Um, tell us, you've told me a little bit about your military experience. Can you tell me how that basically prepared you to be an effective member of Congress? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. It, baseline, it's about leadership. You know, it's, it's about putting people in situations to make the hard decision, you know, and as a voter for me, and, and I would hope this would be the case with other voters, it's, it's putting people in office who you can be reasonably confident will rise to that occasion, you know, and speak up and take the hard right over the easy wrong and, and, and step into the void, you know, and get things done. Um, you know, I think easy, for instance, there is, is what it takes to, to send our young people to go serve and fight and die on foreign soil. You know, and after 20 years, almost 20 years in the, the U.S. Army in some capacity or another, I'm still in, by the way, uh, Good in the you. reserves. Thank you for your service. I appreciate that. Um, you know, but after 20 years, I think I'm equipped to approach that decision with a proper respect for the gravity of what it means. You know, I'm 80 percent disabled from the VA. I know what it means to come back with some scars in inside and outside, you know. And, and before we, it doesn't mean it's never the right answer. You mm -hmm. know, sometimes we do have to do that. We've got a standing army for a reason. But, uh, but that's not something you just run into willy-nilly without proper respect for the service members, the families, and what it means to put people in harm's way. Um, put a lot of thought into it before yeah. you move, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. unlike and, some things that are going on. And, and one of the things that's required to put proper consideration there is understanding the threats we face, you know? and. And I've spent my career as an army intelligence officer looking at those threats. You know, I've studied China uh, closely uh, at the academic level. Actually, part of my master's thesis was on the Chinese, the rise of the Chinese threat. I've, I've studied Russia closely in my intelligence work, in the intelligence field. And, you know, in that confluence of, you know, academic experience and real world, you know, intelligence 
on the ground uh, experience, I think makes me uniquely qualified to weigh those considerations closely, you know, and at this point, I think every Republican running for office everywhere is talking about border security. You know, you got, you got, you got school board candidates talking about border security because it's topical and it's important to folks. But how many of those candidates have ever worked border security? I have, you know, and it wasn't, it it didn't happen to be the, our Southern border. It was, it was actually a, a border between Turkey and, and Syria, that's a little, a little stickier. That's fairly volatile. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, but 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 I've got a, a pretty good understanding of, you know, what it takes from from a tiered security strata, to to secure that type of border. Well, I know from law from being in law enforcement and being in the security field now, the primary thing that you got to start with is a threat assessment. Mm-hmm. And if you can't get a full, logical, in-place threat assessment, then you're starting from behind the eight ball to start with. Yep. And which is kind of what we, you know, I've I've seen experienced in the Afghanistan. Uh, there was not a full threat assessment done, and if there was, it sure wasn't anything paid attention to it. Yeah. Well, and that's the tragedy is that there was a, there was a risk assessment, there was a threat assessment. We did understand what the Taliban was going to do, and people were trying to get heard, and, and nobody was listening. The guy at, at the top, at least top the main guy yeah. wasn't. Uh, and that's something. I mean, you've been over there, so you know. Give me your thoughts on what happened with Afghanistan, as far as from both uh, a citizen mm-hmm. and also as a soldier. Yeah, so, so combine the two is one, it's the same. Yeah, and, and that's and that's and and that that's an important thing that you said there. There's not a, a clear distinction for me between citizen and soldier because I've been both my entire adult life. And and watching watching us throw away the good work that we did. You know, we after 9/11, after we were attacked we uh, secured the area. You know, we locked down the Taliban. There was no, I mean, the Taliban is an ideology. You know, it's, it's not just Correct. a group of people. You're never going to exterminate that any more than we can ever exterminate racism or anti-Semitism or anything else. Like, you're never going to completely crush a thing like that. But we shut them down. And we were safe for 20 years. The world was safe for 20 years. Uh, before we just decided to kind of punt on it and 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 sell them out, little girls went to school. Terrorist attacks were not planned in Afghanistan for 20 years, and so to watch us just give that away over the course of about a week, it seemed like, uh, and get nothing in return. You know, we were instantly less safe. And and as an intelligence professional, uh, who's I've been a little closer to this than the average bear, I know how much less safe we are. And it's a lot less safe, oh, absolutely. you know, and, and then from a power projection standpoint, knowing that China's going to swoop right in because they don't care about the human rights violations. They don't care about any of that. And, and so, you know, regionally we project less power. Um, but then beyond that, you know, looking at looking at our other relationships, you know, I, I, being a part of building those relationships on the ground in Afghanistan and knowing that we sold those folks out, you know, to die. Um, but we've got, you know, there are 30 countries in NATO. That's 29 partners who've got to be doing a hard look at their relationship with the United States, saying, well, will the U.S. keep their word? You know, whether it's, you know, our oldest allies like Great Britain or France or some of the Eastern, the former Eastern Bloc countries like Latvia, Lithuania, who depend on us. And frankly, who we depend on 
they don't know if they can count on us to keep our word. Israel, our most important ally in a tremendously volatile region. And I've done a lot of work with Israel. You know, the, the folks in the IDF have to be given their relationship with the U.S. a hard look. Can we count on these guys? And right now, I don't think they can. Well, how can some of those ideas, concerns, everything be transferred down to the local area and the stuff that you're going to have to do as a local congressman? Mm-hmm. How do those some of that stuff that you learned in that area are going to help you in that in particular area on a local level? Yeah, a lot of it's, I mean, a lot of it's going to be driving policy, you know, how we make, how we draw up foreign policy, how we approach the countries that we need. And and to be frank, I I just listed, you know, our allies, Mm -hmm. every country in the world needs to understand that the U.S. keeps its word. You know, our adversaries need to understand that the U.S. keeps its word. Uh, that they can only push so far because we will do what we say we're going to do. You know, some of that is policymaking in the houses of Congress. Some of that's holding the executive branch accountable because ultimately those matters of state, that's all of that, that that runs through the DOD and all that, that comes up through the commander in chief. And we've seen what massive failures from the commander in chief can lead to. Uh, But it's, it's about accountability and, and being whether it's in policymaking or being the person on TV raising the alarm. You know, the president isn't doing what he's supposed to do, which is the case currently. Well, the pandemic has has hit. We'll move on to a little bit different here. Mm -hmm. The pandemic has hit everybody hard in every facet of life, Mm -hmm. but particularly in the business area. Um, Now, you're in business. I'm sure you were affected as well. What can we do on a local basis to help influence us getting back into the normal mm-hmm. as a as a Georgia congressman? That's really yeah. So, you know, my, my wife and I own a couple of small businesses, and uh, we own a gym, and we own a travel agency. And I'm sure you and well, I could, both affected greatly. I'm sure you and I could sit here long enough to come up with an industry that was more impacted than fitness centers and you know, travel and hospitality, take a while. but it would take a minute. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and some of that was inevitable. You know, there was a worldwide pandemic. People were afraid. There were reasons that, you know, reasonable restrictions, all of that. But so much has been driven on government mandates and overreach and these blanket mandates that applied to all businesses or mm-hmm. all industries, you know, irrespective of, of how they might affect different things, different ways. Uh, and then the, you know, the misinformation and the, the constant contradictions from either government mouthpieces or their, you know, their, their counterparts in the, the mainstream media. And, and it's just, it's been so damaging, you know, two years ago, two, yeah, two years ago, February of 2020, if you look at the, the small business landscape then to now over a third, 34% of small businesses are shuttered mm-hmm. in America since then. How many careers is that? You know, how many life savings is that? How many, how many jobs are just gone, you know, forever based on, based on this whole thing. And and we'll never be able to really sort out the data and know how much of that was really necessary, but a lot of it wasn't, you know? And so getting, getting things back to local control and this is for a, for a member of the federal government, you know, the, the seat that I'm running for the job there is getting that control away from, wresting that control away from the, the Fauci's and the federal level organizations and getting that down to the state and the local level where communities can make decisions on what's best for communities. 
because you can't run rural Georgia like Manhattan or DC. They're just right. not the same area. You know, they, they don't, they're not subject to the same risks. They're just too different. And to have, you know, the, the head of the CDC or, or Anthony Fauci or come out make blanket statements that are supposed to apply to every American in every situation, that's just not smart. Well, we just had uh, information, you know, from, from the reviews and stuff come out uh, that, it, what was it, 0.02 or 0.2% of the fatalities, mm-hmm. it would have been changed if we hadn't done a complete lockdown. Right. So it was yeah. such infinitesimal. Now, I agree that we did not know that in the beginning. We had to right. do what we had mm-hmm. to do based on, and it was based on recommendations from Fauci, mm-hmm. which we all know uh, have been terrible from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But uh, at least we know now, you know, hindsight's wonderful. But, you know, from a, from a level of being a U.S. congressman, you're, you're going to have to, you're going to have input on the directions in which this goes. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they, you can help to assist to get us out of this fear-based, fear-based stuff. Um, who is a current legislator on the federal or state levels that you would like to emulate the style or policy and priorities of if, in fact, you want to emulate anyone? Yeah, I'm, well, I'm glad or you phrased it like mentor. that. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you phrased it like that because I got to be me. You know, I, uh, I'm... I'm a lot of personality. I got a lot of energy. And, and I think, you know, based on some of the stuff we've talked about, I've, I'm going to bring a lot of experience and some earned expertise to the seat. And so, you know, the idea of, of, of trying to fall into the mold of another person is just not my style, you know, and, and right now everybody in Congress on both sides are held completely hostage by leadership. You know, and, and I want to break that stranglehold on the power and and represent the people of Georgia six. You know, I'm going to have the way I see it, about 800,000 bosses mm-hmm. when I'm in Congress and none of them are uh, a party leader. None of them are, you know, the speaker. My my 800,000 bosses live, you know, in, in Forsyth and Dawson and Cherokee and Cobb and North Fulton. And, uh, and those are the people that I'm accountable to. So going out of my way to emulate somebody else or to try to be like somebody else when what I want to do is represent the people I represent, that feels like the most genuine way to approach this. Now, that's a good answer because, you know, I think there's too many people nowadays want to – I really think would have answered that more of a, well, I like the way this guy does it mm-hmm. and, you know, I want to be like him. And I don't think there's a single person in office right now – that we need to emulate. I think we need to have some people in there that's mm-hmm. fresh blood. Yeah. Uh, people well, in there with fresh ideas. Yeah. And, and Congress doesn't do anything right now. Exactly. You know, we hadn't passed a budget in 20 years. We don't, we don't do, we pass massive spending bills. Nobody's putting thought into legislation. And if the legislature doesn't legislate, then our, our, our three branches of government are rendered kind of incompetent there. And so, yeah, we've got to get back to basics and, 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 sh- just get back to civics class. I'd like to see us get back to trying to balance a budget. Wouldn't, We're required to do it on a personal basis. Yep. So, wouldn't and that as be a business, yeah. if I don't balance a budget in mm-hmm. some way, we're out of business. Mm-hmm. Well, the federal government's going to eventually get out of business if we don't get a balanced budget going. Yeah. And I'd love to see some people do that. Once elected, if you could hypothetically only focus on one issue, what would and that's just hypothetically because I know there's a lot of them that that mm-hmm. you're interested in. What would that issue be? 
I do have a lot of, you know, a lot of priorities and a lot of things that I, I think are important for us to focus on. But for me personally, and, and I touched on it earlier, I'm a, I'm a, a biblical conservative. That's who I am. And so for me, it's the life issue. You know, if I could, if I could pick one thing to, to get through, it would be, it would be that issue of the sanctity of life. Uh, it's deeply personal to me. It's not a talking point. It's not a, a political point to score. I know it's, you know, I'm running as a Republican. It's the right answer, but, uh, but it's theological and it's, it's driven by something deeper. You know, um, my pro-life story starts at the very beginning. I, I was born to a, a, a scared, poor teenage mom in a bad relationship and, uh, and she kept me, you know, and, and gave me a chance. And that's a big deal. You know, like I can't mm-hmm. overstate that really. Um, and, and she worked hard and created a good life for me. Uh, the man who eventually married us, uh, was adamant about adopting me. He didn't want to be a stepdad. He wanted to be a dad and he adopted me. He himself was adopted, you know, and, and adoption be- continues to be part of my, my story and my family. Now, you know, we brought home baby number four. It was our first adoption though, from India uh, a couple months ago. It's awesome. And so, you know, so the, the life issue and, and, and overturning Roe is a, a beautiful first step, but it's only a first step to the, the journey to be a life affirming culture. Awesome. Well, you know, and that is important to so many people right now. Uh, one thing I would like to ask you also, in addition to that is, you know, one of the big issues right now is our immigration, illegal, mm-hmm. illegal immigration. Mm-hmm. I've, I am absolutely on board with legal immigration. I think it's what made our country. But illegal immigration is killing us. Indeed. And uh, right now I noticed, I read something earlier before the show of a tremendous increase in the, uh, the uh, pandemic, the COVID positive, well, actually COVID sicknesses within the immigration, mm-hmm. illegal immigration facilities and camps. Uh, what's your position on that? I mean, well, I know your position, but how yeah. would you deal with it? Well, I mean, the first thing we talked about a little bit already is border security. You know, I mean, right now we don't have a border policy. And, and by not having a border policy, that's the border policy. That is a problem. You know, and that's, I mean, you know, and so whether it's whether it's completing structure and walls and fences and 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 physical obstructions to getting over, but that's only part of a solution. You know, it's it's a it's a, a tiered multi-level solution that involves everything from, you know, automated drones to agents on horseback. You know, it's it's border security is an is an active engagement. That's that's a almost a front to a war zone, especially in a situation where we've got what we've got thanks to thanks to the Biden policies. You know, and of course they're bringing over COVID. This is an unregulated set of people uh, who end up in close quarters, who end up in unsafe conditions and unregulated conditions. Yeah. And so they're bringing over. Sure, they're bringing over COVID. They're bringing over a lot worse than COVID. Oh, yeah. You know, and so. So, yeah, it's 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 a situation that's that's got to end. Attention has to be brought to it. And we need people creating policy there who know what they're doing, because right now we don't have it. We need strong people and strong personalities that can put up and stand up mm-hmm. against some of these people that are in charge and mm-hmm. have not done anything, aren't doing anything besides talk. Mm-hmm. And right now we have a lot of talk, just no action. Mm-hmm. Um, has, would you say Joe Biden has been effective in any area of his presidency so far? And kind of second on that, what issues would you see yourself working with him on? 
you know what? I would like to say, I would like to, to be that bipartisan guy who can point out and, and really ferret out the thing that Joe Biden has done well. Unfortunately, uh, that, that he's not given me the opportunity. You know, he's done nothing well. That's it's, called a brain teaser. Yeah, it's been it's been abject failure from front to back. You know, if we look at foreign policy, we can start in Afghanistan, but you know, we talked about that. But then, you know, our our adversaries are emboldened. China is emboldened. North Korea is launching missiles toward uh, Japan. Right and left. You know, uh, we're back in a situation where Russia is about to slice off another little piece of Ukraine because they can. You know, and 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 so on down the line. The border's a travesty. Internally, uh, you're probably saving for retirement, but you're further away from it than you were a year ago. Absolutely. Because all of your money is worth 7 to 10% less, you know? Um, people at every stage of life, whether it's, you know, getting close to retirement, sending kids to school, building a house, starting a business, whatever, your, your savings are worth less. Everything about this Biden administration, he was going to come in and shut down the virus. You know, what a, what a, of all the quotes that haven't aged well, like it's just been more fear mongering and more of the same. That was a point to get elected by. Absolutely. And, you know, there's yeah. no way in the world that was ever going to happen. No, no. But uh, so, so no, you know, Joe Biden has been an abject failure a year in. It's been maybe, maybe the worst first year any president has had since, I mean, like Lincoln's first year was pretty bad. The Civil War started. That was a tough run. But other than that, like, and all of Joe Biden's stuff has been self-inflicted, you know, mm -hmm. like Afghanistan was stable. The border, the border was so stable. The COVID was under control. The economy was on the rebound. Like so many things were going so well in a all year ago. All he had to do was nothing and he'd have done well. Which, which honestly, we could have expected him to do nothing. That's how he ran. He did nothing. And so, but the fact that he got in and rolled up his sleeves and immediately just went to work, just Not making him. a mess. Yeah. So, so no, and you know, sadly, unfortunately, there's not a thing I can point to and say, oh, you know, President Biden's doing a great job in this, and I'd love to help him continue. Because no, it's just not there. Um, you know, it just it goes on and on. Labor force participation is down. Everything is down. Race relations are at a probably a 50 year low in this country, and that's on the back of this, you know, this critical race theory agenda that that the left is pushing that's pervasive through our schools and our corporations and everything at this point and it's it's toxic it's poisonous it's racist it's divisive and and it's supposed to be you know it's supposed to be all of those things that it, it's not a unifying the theology which is basically what it is yeah. ideology is what i meant to say there but uh you know and, and and that speaks to crime because when you make everything when you view the world through this this lens of equity over safety and we make these issues about crime and 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 behavior about social justice and, and and different things like that and we vilify police and we make policing illegal you know the defund the police just basically turned into well let's just make it impossible to police yeah. you know all of that in the in the name of social justice and racial reconciliation or something but you don't get that you know if you go to a high crime area and you make it harder to police you don't get less crime you get more crime you know and you see places like the the super woke cities like san francisco that have basically tried to decriminalize what they call petty crime mm -hmm. well you don't you, you get more you get more of all kinds of crime so murders up shoplifting's up everything's kind of a disaster well, it's kind of the broken window theory yeah it is it is it's very much the the broken window policing theory 
And, and all of that's, you know, that's locally driven stuff, but it's all Democrat mayors, it's all Democrat leadership, and it's all top-down driven from Joe Biden and his party. Yeah, the uh, policing is getting harder and harder. I mean, that 25 years that I was in it is totally different than what it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't recommend young people go into policing and as much as it was a great career for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad I did it. I wouldn't go back and do it now. Yeah, the uh, respect's just, not there. It's, I mean, no. you're, you've got to constantly. Well, the support's s- not there. Yeah, the, the, yeah, absolutely. Without that support and without the, the people, when people do bad things, they need to be separated from society as far as, you know, if they can be rehabilitated, awesome. Mm-hmm. But they've got to stay in jail to get rehabilitated. Mm-hmm. You can't just put them all up in a cushy apartment mm-hmm. and say, you know, you're free to go and do whatever you want to do because it has no effects. Some people are just bad people. Some people are just bad people, but a, a and lot not of, all of them. Not yeah, but some people, you know, at an 18 year old who makes a mistake needs to pay consequences and be like you said rehabilitated be given that second chance or at 20 and 25 you know like they it escalates it doesn't get better it gets worse without mitigation and without remediation and and making it harder for police and law enforcement and the that process to work you know cities that aren't prosecuting non that are like no longer prosecuting nonviolent crimes well guess what you're going to see an uptick in eventually is violent crimes absolutely uh, it, it does escalate. It's a training mm-hmm. ground. Yeah. Um, the more that more it happens, uh, we've got people with multiple, multiple arrests and, mm-hmm. and for serious offenses that are just turned loose and they're going out here and then they're committing murder. Yeah. And, you know, you can say, no, that's not. how. Yeah, it yeah, is what's documented. happening. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, should you be uh, lucky enough to be elected here? Uh, hopefully you'll be able to do something about that and at least make your voice heard and mm-hmm. try and get things turned around in those areas. Um, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, Byron, and <laughs> I got it right. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you and uh, talk to you about uh, coming on, uh, coming on to the, your program, helping you out, mm-hmm. uh, running, running uh, knocking doorknobs or, I mean, doorbells. Yeah, and, yeah all that kind of stuff how would they get in touch with you and become a part of your campaign yeah that's thank you for 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 teeing that up for me uh you know because we do need volunteers we need folks on the phones we need folks pounding on doors for us and uh and the website's gatewoodforgeorgia.com um it's gatewood just like it sounds for georgia um all spelled out there and uh and you can sign up to volunteer there you can donate online there and uh and yeah and and we're building something so it's 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 really growing it's a lot of fun and and we're really optimistic about what we're going to be able to do in this race and then ultimately in the seat well byron i wish you a lot of luck um there's a lot of stuff going on in this county Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff going on in the united states Mm -hmm. we've got to have some strong people that are willing to get out there and fight and you know i you know the more the board gets there, the more it looks like there's going to be what they call a red wave. But I don't put any – I wouldn't bet on anything right now. Yep. So the best I can say is on each individual is good luck. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, and we definitely don't win until we win. You know that the media is going to give they're, – they're going to give every Democrat 
every second chance, every mulligan. They're going to give them all the top cover that they can. So I appreciate this opportunity in the media to come out and, and, and spread the good word there. But, uh, but yeah, we definitely have to be vigilant. We've got to raise money. We've got to, we've got to stay in front of this thing because Democrats are definitely, uh, they have an upper hand. Uh, yeah, they do. They've got the media behind them mm-hmm. 100%. Well, thank you for joining us on Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services and in part by Sosby's Garage and the Mana Scholarship Fund. Be sure to join us for the live broadcast every other Wednesday at 11.30 a.m. here on Business Radio X. If you miss the live broadcast, no worries. You can enjoy the show anytime by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then, of course, clicking on Case in Point. This program is also available on iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, and I'll say that again, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your favorite podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Case in Point, and so you don't miss any of our future episodes. Thank you to my guest, Byron Gatewood, and I appreciate uh, you coming on, and Miss Amanda for producing the show. I'm Rick Strawn, and remember, at Paradigm Security Services, we cover more than just your assets. <laughs>